Hello, I'm Liam Messon. Today's episode will be covering the intersection between translational medicine and climate change. And my first guest is someone very close to the journal, my boss, Julie Stacey, Editor-in-Chief for eBiomedicine. Hello, Julie. Hi, Liam. On September the 5th, eBiomedicine, in concert with a number of other journals, published a commentary entitled, Call for Emergency Action to Limit Global Temperature Increases, Restore Biodiversity, and Protect Health. Quite the title. Julie, could you give us an overview of the commentary? Yeah, so as stated in the editorial, health is, is already being harmed by global temperature increases and the destruction of the natural world. And we know that air quality, extreme temperatures and, and food insecurity are just a few of the ways that this is happening. And so as, as editors of health journals, as, as scientists and clinicians, this commentary asks our readers not to lose sight of this existential threat. And although we're in the middle of a terrible pandemic, we need to stay focused and to do everything we can to mitigate further harm to the planet and to health. And so this commentary calls for some big changes and to build cleaner and more resilient societies and to do this in an equitable way that benefits everyone. If I may, why would a translational journal be interested in publishing a manuscript on climate change? So our journal scope sits at the intersection between biomedical research and human health. And so for, for climate health, we're interested in publishing work that helps us understand, for example, how, how heat and extreme temperatures might affect the body, including kidney function, cardiovascular and pulmonary systems, and even emerging infections. And so also any new research that helps us to design and improve therapeutics to treat these illnesses is also something we'd cover. And it's not just research that will have to adjust. Healthcare faces its own challenges as the climate changes. To find out more, I spoke with Dr. Jody Sherman, founding director of the Program on Healthcare Environmental Sustainability at the Yale Center for Climate Change and Health. I began by asking her how healthcare interacts with climate change. Right. Well, uh, it's important to realize that presently, uh, healthcare globally contributes. 5% of global greenhouse gas emissions and similar fractions of air pollution. So already we have a problem that healthcare is causing damages to human health. And as we are seeing a more rapidly changing climate and biodiversity loss, uh, we are seeing more um, damages to human health that we need to respond to. So in a positive feedback way, we're having to provide more care. And at the same time, we're causing, uh, we're contributing to the problem. And this goes against the mission of healthcare to first do no harm. So uh, what health systems need to do um, is uh, certainly at least twofold. And that is number one, they need to uh, mitigate their own emissions and they also need to build resiliency and be able to adapt, meaning that they're going to be seeing more of these issues, more acute heat-related uh, exacerbations of cardiovascular and pulmonary disease, of heat stress and dehydration causing renal damage, um, 
We're going to see more physical injuries from extreme weather events, and we're going to be more challenged, as we already have been, with disruptions to our infrastructure and supply chains. And uh, so we need to be um, willing to make changes in how we deliver care to be able to um, serve more people and do so in a way um, that doesn't diminish the current quality of the care that we provide. And that requires uh, uh, really challenging how um, we are doing care currently. So as you say, it's a challenge to maintain a high duty of care whilst at the same time minimizing waste and emissions. Can the two be done or do we need to decide between the health of the patient and the health of the planet? Well, that's a really important question. And, you know, the the real stress test for us was a COVID pandemic, right? Uh, where there were people, even in high-income nations, um, you know, including Lombardo industry, Lombardo and Italy and New York City, uh, where we would never expect that people would die because we don't have enough beds, staff, and resources, and that was in fact happening and uh, has happened in many parts of the world. And uh, where you know the worst possible situation you can be in as a health professional that is having to make life or death decisions based on availability of resource. So, so for example, you know if we feel that um, if in our own health system, and I can use mine as an example, Yale New Haven Health System, and and we were deeply affected by the pandemic. We were on the the outer perimeter of the New York City outbreak, and uh, we had to uh, scramble for resources. We had to um, clean and reuse supplies that were not designed to be cleaned and reused um, out of desperation. And by the way, we figured out how to do so safely, and that's an important point. But now, once we've secured our supply chain um, locally, we are not out of the woods because there's still outbreaks elsewhere in the world, outbreaks where in locations where they don't have access to the resources, they're still short of supplies. And just because we're not feeling the shortages in our own institution, doesn't mean we can go on with business as usual and being quite wasteful and doesn't mean we're not out of risk. So we need to help everyone globally. And, and a perfect example is vaccinations. You know, now we're on to um, getting our booster vaccinations when the World Health Organization has, has, has you know, requested that we wait until at least 10% of the, the population has, has been vaccinated. And so if we don't uh, prevent work to prevent outbreaks everywhere, it still puts us at risk. And the analogies are quite the same for climate change because we are globally interconnected. We have the same limited global resource. Our supply chains are sourced all over the world. And so if we don't lift each other up, it, it affects us everywhere. And we need to change the way we do business. That was a terrific answer. Thank you. I did want to touch on a few of the points raised. You mentioned global inequality with COVID, uh, for instance, with vaccines. Are these global inequalities going to get worse as the climate changes? Or are we all going to be impacted in the same way? Yeah. Uh, If we don't make some drastic changes, 
inequalities are absolutely going to worsen. I mean, if we think about what's already happening when there are um, weather-related disasters, um, even as we saw with Hurricane Katrina in the U.S. Um, back in 2006, if you were of means and uh, were alerted and uh, took that alert seriously, you could get in your car and drive however far away to stay in a hotel or um, stay with relatives elsewhere. If you don't own a car, you don't have the money um, for a hotel, um, all your relatives live close by and in close quarters, you can't leave, you can't escape. If you um, don't have the financial means to uh, reconstruct your home or the damages to your property after an event, uh, or and you don't have the financial means to qualify for loans to be able to, to uh, make those repairs, you're going to be thrust further into poverty. Uh, so, and um, wealthy uh, institutes, wealthy governments, they have the ability to outbid, pay for resources, um, uh, natural resources, supplies. And so economically, competitively, there it, the disparities are just absolutely going to grow unless we do things more fairly and equitably. And again, appreciate that when we reduce those disparities, when we support the needs of those who are more impoverished, it helps everyone. It affects the health and the quality of everyone because we're not going to be competing for those resources and we're not going to be dealing with um, with extreme needs. For example, uh, requiring more health care for, for more exposures and untreated disease, um, as I was saying with uh, the COVID pandemic and, and addressing the needs of um, the vaccination needs of impoverished populations. We can't we can't um, stop the pandemic if it keeps circulating and we're not vaccinating everyone because we're getting extra ones ourselves before others even have a chance. Reducing inequality is a noble aim, but healthcare professionals are already under immense strain. Is it even fair to ask them to focus on the health of the planet as well? As a health professional, feel um, that it is my duty to not only take care of the patient in front of me, but also the community, the present and future communities, uh, that the duty um, of care and to do no harm um, includes uh, includes everyone. Right. So I can't I can't in good conscience take care of the patient in front of me and cause harm to someone else uh, if it can be avoided. And um, so to answer your question is, you know, is moving to what's called a circular economy where we keep materials in use as long as possible, um, reducing waste uh, and um, uh, refurbishing and reusing materials. Um, is that going to be the solution for uh, uh, healthcare pollution and the, the solution to everything globally? Absolutely not. But here's the deal: globally, healthcare is 10% of our of our global economy. So, it, and it touches virtually every aspect of the global economy. So, if we can, if we not only as a as a duty to do no harm, but as responsibility to be leaders within the healthcare sector transform the way that we do business 
it's going to ripple out and affect all aspects of the economy. And we're already starting to see this. So, for example, the National Health Service in England is uh, requiring that their suppliers not only do um, carbon reporting, I think, through the Carbon Disclosure Project, but that mandates that they also reduce their own, that the companies reduce their emissions in line with science-based targets and timelines. That this is transparent and third-party verifiable. And so that's an example of how transforming our own industry in healthcare can have global ripple effects. So, um, but you know, the supply chain is not enough. We have a waste problem. Um, we know that a quarter of healthcare globally is uh, deemed low value or inappropriate, meaning it's unneeded, unwanted, wasteful, uh, um, and environmentally destructive. And so, what we really need to do is um, uh, really provide more high value care. And that requires reducing the emissions and intensity of the care that we provide um, through changes in manufacturing and also reducing waste in the care that we provide, meaning how we provide low value inappropriate care. And they have to be done together. And if we can do so together, then we can increase access to high quality care globally. And uh, because healthcare is such a large part of the global economy, it can actually have an impact, uh, but the supply chain is not enough. How we deliver care and, and the fact that we're doing so inappropriately in, in uh, you know, significant quantity, that has to be addressed. And, and so we really have to change the whole models that, and the drivers, including um, uh, the business drivers. And in, in the case of high-income nations, there's a lot of regulatory complexity and restraints that are contributing to waste. There are um, business models incentives that are manufacturing obsolescence and contributing to waste. So that has to be addressed on the regulatory side. And really on the health professional side, we need more education and awareness about our duty to, to do our part to address the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis and rethink and reimagine the way that we deliver care and whether or not it's really necessary. And I can tell you from coming from the United States, a high income country that, you know, very wealthy by and large, you know, we have very little sense of the fact that resources are, are limited globally. The first wake up call, the, this wake up call with the climate, with the uh, pandemic, you know, really touched us and made us feel that we are not immune. But I can tell you that those lessons were quickly forgotten it and they cannot be that once you, we've resecured our, our own supply chains, that, that that sense has gone away and, and we can't, we need to make it front and center um, and through the way that we do business on a daily basis, and there's the public health policy, the uh, concept of health in all policies, and that really needs to be drilled home in how we run our organizations, how we approach our patients, how we deliver our government. We must be thinking about how we're impacting not only the patient in front of us, but the communities that we serve and the communities globally, that we are all interconnected. And lastly, what would you say to those that feel changes to healthcare are too small or too late to make a difference? People wonder if, if their contribution, you know, their contribution matters. Um, there's a meme that says it's just one straw said eight billion people. So um, are individuals going to solve the problem alone? No, but collectively together we can and we must. 
and uh, corporations and governments must be held accountable as well. Uh, we need to have action at every single level and, and no action is too small. That was Dr. Jody Sherman, who is Associate Professor of Anesthesiology at Yale School of Medicine, Associate Professor of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health, and Founding Director of the Program on Healthcare Environmental Sustainability at the Yale Center for Climate Change and Health.